Hello and welcome to the 774 NGR podcast. Here we take stories, topics, and issues from across the length and breadth of Nigeria and attempt to break them down. It's easy to identify problems, and unfortunately, Nigeria has a lot of those. But we also hope to put some solutions for Nigeria's problems on record. I'll be talking to analysts, experts, and those on the ground and in the thick of things for this podcast. So who am I? My name is Solulokwe Adeleru Balogun. I'm a broadcast journalist. You've seen me on your TV, heard my voice on your radio, have probably seen me hosting and moderating events and panels on all issues Nigerian. You've probably even read my writing since I freelance occasionally. I've collaborated with some of Nigeria's foremost civil society groups and non-governmental organizations, and I'll be your host for the 774 NGR podcast. On the 774 NGR podcast, we'll talk about politics, we'll talk social issues, we'll talk, of course, about security, education, the economy, and more. If it's happening in Nigeria or concerns Nigeria, we will talk about it. So again, welcome. The topic of today's podcast is gender-based violence in Nigeria. Gender-based violence, or GBV, is violence that is directed at an individual based on his or her biological sex or gender identity. It includes physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse, threats, coercion, and economic or educational deprivation, whether occurring in public and private life. Before I get into some numbers on GBV, let me introduce my guest. Joining me today is Choma Aguego. Choma is the founder and executive director of Tech Her and G. She's also a communications consultant and social media strategist. Choma is vocal about all things women and Nigerian. Choma, thank you for joining me. Welcome to 774 NGR podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, so let me start with facts and figures. I always like sort of laying the foundation with the data and information we have on certain issues. The World Health Organization says that globally, 35% of women have experienced physical and or sexual intimate partner violence or sexual violence by a non-partner. This figure does not include sexual harassment. Some national studies show that the number can be as high as 70% of women and that rates of depression, having an abortion, or acquiring HIV are higher in women who have experienced this type of violence compared to women who have not. According to the United Nations FPA, the incidence of gender-based violence is growing astronomically with the activities of the insurgency in the northeast parts of Nigeria. From forced and early marriages to the physical, mental, and sexual assault on a woman, nearly three in 10 Nigerian women have experienced physical violence by the age of 15. Three names that many of us will remember from 2020, Uwa, Barakat, and Jennifer. We know their names, but not the names of the millions of other women and girls who are victims of GBV in Nigeria. Shilma, what do you think Nigerian women and girls are going through? Thank you. Um, first of all, I think that even the statistics that you've reeled yes. out do not capture the horrors of what women have to deal with, right? I say a lot that from the time a girl is born to the day she dies, she's literally not trying to thrive. So this is for the majority of girls in Nigeria. We're not trying to thrive. We're not trying to do excellent things. We're trying primarily to trying to stay alive, trying to escape the many forms of violence that will come up against in our lifetime. So starting from stuff like FGM, then having to be the one who's not chosen to go to school, then experiencing, you know, all sorts of sexual violations um, or just being at the risk of experiencing these violations in school, trying to get a job and all the sexual favors you are asked for or things that are insinuated. Um, she gets married, there's intimate partner violence, there's the relegation of her person, there's the conflation of professional, you know, and home care. Um, there's, there's just so much. And then if the partner dies, there are the widowhood practices. There's so many yeah. harmful practices. You know, it's, it's just like literally a life cycle, the entirety of her life. She's navigating or trying to circumvent one form of violence or the other. Or the other. Mm -hmm. 
when it's just astounding because oftentimes when we when we see some reports come out on social media and people talk about Nigeria is one of the worst places for women to be women or for a girl to be born as a girl, you'll see people come on social media and start trying to negate um, what is data. What is research when you're looking at maternal mortality in Nigeria, when you're looking at girl child, early childhood marriage, when you're looking, as you said, about school? Why do you think so many people are so reluctant to accept what is in front of them, to accept the data and also the reality that many of them even see for themselves? Why this reluctance to accept what the reality is for Nigerian girls and women? I think because it forces us to confront the fact that Nigeria is actually jungle right it's like when you lose someone and then you tell yourself if i tell myself they haven't passed then maybe they won't they won't pass so it's the you know they say that the worst form of um you know deceit is self you know is is self deception or the worst form of deception is self deceit yeah so it's like if we tell ourselves this doesn't exist then it doesn't exist it's the same way that you have you know, um, our security personnel, they lose a couple of people and then they tell us that, the, you know, they, they, they seriously like downgrade the numbers. So where you have 50 people who die, they tell you that five died. And it's this erasure or the attempted erasure um, that not just, you know, the, the insincerity of the erasure doesn't allow us attack these issues head on. Because when it comes to policy making, you can't have said we have five cases of sexual and gender-based violence in a state, and then you start to plan for 50. No, you will plan for your lie. That's literally, you know, um, what's happening. And unfortunately, we're more interested in who looks good mm-hmm. and optics rather than the realities, which is terrible, but this is where we are. Okay, so I have some more numbers for you because I think, or not even just you, for anybody listening, because I think it's necessary that we face the situation. Globally, as many as 38% of murders of women are committed by a male intimate partner. And while these numbers are a bit more difficult to come about um, in countries like Nigeria, we've seen it. We see it on the front pages. Uh, we see it on the blog. So it's not something that we don't know exists. There's also the economic cost. And some people think that putting this into um, number of figures, particularly for money, can help people contextualize the scale of the problem in financial terms. So a 2015 study by researchers at Coventry University on the cost of GBV to Nigerian households found the average unit cost per incident of 16,465 naira, 66 kobo. Right now, that's about $83 in 2020, or about 29,000 naira on each household per incident cost of some form of GBV. Now, this is despite the fact that 40% of Nigeria's population, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, which is estimated at 82.9 million people, live below the poverty line of 137,000 430 naira. So this signifies that GBV is not just a major drain on household finances, but on the overall economic development of the country. But Choma, we can be honest with ourselves. It sounds very cold to talk about gender-based violence in just financial terms. What does GBV cost women and by extension, Nigeria society? I think the numbers, you know, are interesting to hear. What the mm. numbers don't account for sometimes is the fact that for most, a good percentage of Nigerians, the, you know, those numbers are foreign, right? I mean, you talk yeah. about Nigeria having the highest number of extreme poor people in the world, um, and the stats you're reeling out are in dollars. So a lot of people are not even close to a dollar. So when you say, you know, we lose X amount of dollars, some people on a daily basis are under a dollar persistently, you know, so the, the, the loss, the deprivation, you know, is, is, is so much worse. But what do we lose? I think we lose, um, we lose the chance of having effective leadership. And this stems from the work I've done, you know, within young women in politics and how overtures and sexual harassment, however, chase them away from participating, you know, Mm -hmm. fully in political processes. So, you know, we derive ourselves of the chance of effective leadership of, you know, a college of leadership led by women. If you Mm -hmm. look around the world, you see countries that, you know, were led by women did so much better 
with COVID-19. If you look around yeah. the world, you see that movements that have been led by women have fared so much better. And this is not to say that our bodies should become battlefields, you know, because I saw something on Twitter recently where a very misguided young person was saying that Aisha Yesufu, you know, should lead the protest to secure the North. And mm-hmm. I remember tweeting and saying, no, you know, no. When we talk about people... They're, they're, they're ready for, to sacrifice women they, on the front lines. Exactly, exactly. You know, our bodies can't be the battlefield. I remember when somebody was telling me that, oh, women are protesting, blah, 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 that we should go topless. And I said, why? Why should mm. I feed your perversion? Or why should, you know, hundreds of women feed your perversion? If you want to do something, you will. If you need to see our breasts to do something, then I, I'm sorry you don't want to There's do it. There's something wrong with you. Know? you. And so, Exactly. So it's like women, you know, we all want women to come out and do the work and bleed and this and that and that. But when it comes to putting these same women, look at feminist coalition, look at mm. the, the incredible, amazing, you know, almost as it were, for, especially for, for, for Nigerians, life-changing leadership that these ladies gave, right? Yeah. It was yeah. proactive, proactive transparency, Proactive communication, you know, detailed proactive um, accountability were spent. It was mm-hmm. coordination. It was innovation on the go. So agility. Like I could, I, I could run out of adjectives to mm. just glowingly describe the beauty that feminist coalition brought to the NSAS protest, right? But then when you now come to leadership or something, then they say, oh, they're too young. They're too pink, they're too purple, they're too Christian, they're too Muslim, they're too, you know, they, they, they worship in traditional houses. All of that, all of those types of things, you know, start to pop up, you mm. know? And so I, I think that, being, again, just talking about how violence affects, you know, the, the lives of women in, in its entirety, we miss out on quality leadership. We miss out on a potential pool of quality leadership. I think we also miss out on all of the economic benefits Mm-hmm. that's just and i know it's been said so much and it's so cliche sometimes i don't even want to use it but you can't wash one hand by itself so we miss out on the corresponding or the comp you know i don't i'm i'm trying to look for a word of yeah the corresponding um economic benefits that women in work will bring yeah. right we can't have economy and economy and economy um, that's fueled by women in rural areas, you know, subsistence farming, not even commercial. We can't expect to prosper that way if we do not create opportunities for women to access loans, for women to be safe, right? I was in Sokoto mm. recently and a young woman went out. She's, she's deaf and dumb. She went out, saw some men sitting in a corner, waved to them, like motioned a greeting to them and went on her way. As she was coming back, those men were still there and they gathered her. This was in daytime. They gathered her, dragged her to a corner and raped her. She's deaf and dumb. She couldn't scream. So until we can guarantee the safety of our women, another lady I met in Sokoto, a midget, um, a, a man had come and said he liked her, blah, blah, blah. And she said, okay, well, I need to finish school first. He said he wanted to marry her. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So goes to visit her in school one day and brings out two drinks from her, you know, from his boots and mm. gives her one. She drinks it. And that's the last thing she remembers. Oh. He rapes her. Now she, and then he rapes her, then takes her home and tells her family that, oh, uh, he went to visit her and she fell sick. So he took her to the hospital and they gave her medicine. And that's why she's asleep. Of course, she comes to realize that something's gone wrong with her body, goes to the hospital, she's pregnant, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and, and I mean, I could give you stories for days. Her school's been cut short at this time, mm. right? So she's no longer in school because she had a baby. She's trying to take care of the baby. She's impoverished because the small business she was running, she can't run anymore. You know, it's like the, 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 the risks and the consequences are so much. But because we lie to ourselves, we are unable to grasp the enormity of the consequences of, you know, of just letting perpetrators run wild in a street, you know, run wild in our street. Hello, Choma. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. All right. Please go ahead. No, I'm done. Okay. Okay. I wanted to be sure because you talked about us letting perpetrators run wild and it just, 
when you there's a story almost every single day whether it makes the front page or it's at the back or it's somewhere on social media there's a story a day when it comes to the issues of gender-based violence and you also talked about of course um how much the economy can gain unfortunately this number is in dollar figures but i think we still need to put it out there um, in 2016, the United Nations estimated the global cost of violence against women to be $1.5 trillion, equivalent to approximately 2% of the global gross domestic product, or roughly the size of the Canadian economy. So as long as countries continue to allow GBV to run rampant without any form of um, attempts at rehabilitation, attempts at consequences, tightening the reins, getting women the, the help that they need afterwards, we are making ourselves poor as Nigerians. We're making ourselves poor as a world. And I think also we need to note the fact that depression comes into play. Oftentimes, um, gender-based violence, if it happens early in a woman's life, can actually affect her own intimate relationships as she grows up. It can affect how she deals with her children. It can affect her ability to work and take care of herself and her family. So the consequences are both direct and indirect, and they can last a lifetime. Now, let's talk about some more research. Research shows that the fight against gender-based violence in Nigeria is hampered by the absence of coordination among key stakeholders, poor execution of legal frameworks, and deep-rooted discriminatory norms. So I want to talk about those deep-rooted discriminatory norms. According to research, men are more likely to perpetrate violence if they have low education, a history of child maltreatment, exposure to domestic violence against their mothers, harmful use of alcohol, unequal gender norms that include attitudes that accept violence, and a sense of entitlement over women. Unfortunately, Choma, I'm very sure you know this sounds familiar in the Nigerian context. We have tradition, culture, and religion that constantly reinforce a message of men being dominant over women, men owning women, and more messages that encourage a sense of entitlement over women. These messages are deep-rooted. They're, I guess you would say, almost age-long, considering how long some of these cultural traditions and norms have been around. So how do we start addressing them that we can change the narrative? I think that, again, um, and this is, you know, something that's really interesting for me, we do not realize that these harmful practices um, affect men as well. So the statistics that say one in four women, one in three, one in three or four women will experience one form of, you know, sexual violence before she's 18, right? Um, what we don't often clock is that one in 10 boys will experience mm. violence before they turn 18. And if, I mean, if you look at our numbers, right, and just, you know, extrapolate, there's about 180 million to 200 million of us. That's a ton of people, you know, who will experience some, some, of, some form of violence and the violence doesn't go away. So if we first realize that this is not necessarily a gender issue. So sometimes they call these things women issues. And yes. if you think about the fact that women are typically relegated in our communities and in, you know, in our society, even in urban areas, as second class citizens, then you see why there isn't a lot of interest. But if we, if we take this as a human issue, I was in a state recently and one man had raped 12 boys. The youngest of them, mm. I think, was nine or seven. Mm. One man. And the community did not know? Well, a lot of people were quiet. A lot of people were ashamed. Oh, goodness. Children. It was the last person he raped who ran home and told his mother. His mother went oh. to the police. And then other people's, you know, children started speaking up. Mm. Right? So this, this violence is everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. There are communities I've heard of where they have wrestling, local wrestling matches that women are not allowed to attend. And at the end of the wrestling matches, the men cast lots and decide which woman in the community they are going to rape. What? And then they pick a woman and they rape her. Yes. In this Nigeria, Choma? Yes. There are communities in this country where a man takes a, a loan, cannot pay it, and then he gives yeah. his wife or his daughter sometimes both. Right now, that culture has to repay the loan. Mm -hmm. Yep, and sometimes mm -hmm. this this um this payment can go on for years. 
right? Hmm. This, these, so basically women, putting your, you know, your female... Daughter, become slaves. Exactly. Putting your female relatives as slaves in order to pay back a loan you took. A loan very likely that had no benefit to them at all. Let's even... Oh. But Choma, the things you're yep. saying are things that have been around for decades and for generations. So when I say deep-rooted, I mean evil, that's what it is, evil, destructive behavior that someone somewhere will sit down and tell you, but my forefathers, forefathers, forefather was able to do it. Why will you come and mm -hmm. tell me that? Now it's my turn. I can't behave the same way. How do we address that? Especially when it seems that the backing of of the of the country the people who can come down be it local government be it states be it national be it police be it um legal we're not using those mechanisms to address these issues i i, I mean this is it this is a tough question right and the, the, the hypocrisy you know mm. that's just as it were stunt any decisive action on this issue, right? Mm -hmm. And as much as it seems like I'm almost now repeating myself, this is the reason why. For instance, um, a young girl that I know was raped, um, got pregnant. Now, you know, she, I think she, she's due any day now. And she was sent out of school. She's out of school now, trying to give birth, you know, this child, and her secondary school teacher sent her a picture of his penis so she sent it to me and she said auntie i don't know what to do this is somebody who's already in the midst of one trauma for being right her case has taken months and months and months and it doesn't seem like there's any justice coming her way and then you have her secondary school teacher sending her pictures of his erect penis and asking her if she has seen something like this before and interestingly, she's not the only one to send this picture to because her other friends have said that they've received these pictures. Mm. You know, so for me, it's like, should, should women now start like some sort of squad where they meet out extrajudicial, you know, justice? Because it doesn't seem like anyone's listening to the voices of our young people. Yeah. I spoke with a mother last year whose three-year-old was raped by a 70-year-old man. There's still days that I don't sleep well when I remember how much more the mother. You know, so these are some of the... I, I, I don't know, Tolu. To be honest, I don't know. And then when you ask people to pass the laws that will provide protection for women and girls, it seems like we're asking them to draw blood from their bodies. Yeah. You know, I guess this is what really, really frustrates me. You say every every November, everybody's waxing lyrical about 16 days. For 16 days. And mm -hmm. how they're committing to women and girls and stuff like that. But you can't pass a law. Some of them water down these bills so much, they become useless. You know, so I'm not... And then, okay, seed space and let people who care about these issues come into these spaces and do stuff that needs to be done. No. You know, so it's, um, sometimes it's almost like, it's, it's thankless, of course, but it's also very frustrating because you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? And we just hope to see, I don't know, I don't know. We, we hope to see some decisive action. I think I'm, I'm quite done with speeches and, you know, we will do this, let us join hands. I'm not sure what joining hands means. If you're the mm. one to pass the law and you're not passing it, how are you, how are we joining hands? You know, oh. when NAPTIP releases people on bail, because they have a COVID scare, and these are people who have been arrested, some of them in the act of perpetrating violence against young girls. And there should be certain levels of people that cannot be released on bail. You release <sighs> them and they go back into the same communities where they were perpetrating these abuses. One of them actually went to the front of the, you know, the house of the mother who reported and said, I'm back. Oh my God. You know, I'm not, I don't know, Tolu, I don't know. Okay, so again, again, 
any conversation on gender-based violence has to come with facts and data and i just keep looking at what we have and you know you talked about the 16 days of activism and there was a certain <laughs> situation recently and i saw your your comments and i think i'm just going to have to take you there so we saw the governor of benway state help to reconcile if you can see me i'm using air quotes help to reconcile a couple where the wife had accused the husband of beating her for several years and recently sitting on her c-section stitches just weeks after she gave birth to their last child there was condemnation and criticism we saw the governor taking pictures with um the couple the husband and the wife the wife still had she was still bruised on her face from where he either slapped her, punched her, stepped on her, whatever it was. And then later, this same governor's wife took part in a walk in their state as part of activities to mark the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. Shoma, what do these things say to you? When you saw Samuel Ortum in that picture and you saw the caption, what, where did your mind go? I was angry, right? I was, I was very angry because an opportunity to make a very firm statement mm. about SGBV was lost, was, was broken on the back of alliances and optics. Again, optics, right? And just on the degradation and the complete wanton disregard for the thoughts of this woman, for her fears, for her for, just for her emotional health as well because look at i mean this woman says while, while she was pregnant this man sat on her stomach when she had a baby he stepped on her incision or he sat on her incision this is a murderer this is somebody who will kill her it's only a matter of time and the thing that you know the chief servant of a state right mm -hmm. or the chief employee of a state does is to reconcile them right and people were saying you know, some very unkind people were saying things like, you know, if she wanted to leave, she would have left. Who are you to say no to your governor? Like, to imagine the amount of pressure this poor woman would have come under. She yes. just had a baby. She yes. had an infant. She had an infant, so there's all the hormones and there's all the, the stress of looking after that infant, you know, dealing with her body and the surgery she's just had, right, and trying to heal. Of course, managing has three other children who are young, like super young. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, in the midst of all of that, you then have this man who is abusing her. And then she's been thrust into this, you know, forced celebrity life because she put out a video. So there's social media commentary. I'm sure her phone would have been ringing off the hook. Yeah, off the hook. Everyone's yeah. saying something. Because the people who are scolding and saying, why did you wash your dirty linen in public, blah, blah, blah. Family is probably embarrassed. His family is terrified, and they're probably saying, "What did you do that made him beat you?" Because you know, women are not to talk. And then you have, you know, the intervention in quotes by the state governor, and everybody saying, "No, this don't do this, don't do that, don't do that." Who anybody in their right mind would know she didn't have an option? Knowing the she Nigerian didn't have context, an not to settle with that guy. Now, exactly. Saying, why, why didn't she leave? and go where with who which of the four children will she take with her injuries with mm. her surgery healing with the infants how much a doctor says nigeria that somebody can marshal out a plan and leave you know so there's so many failures in the handling of that matter so many systemic failures in the handling of that matter because there should have been a sexual assault referral center providing you know legal medical psychosocial care for that woman where she could have run to with those marks on her face and then the man would have been arrested and then the case tried in court and the woman would be free with her children to live a peaceable life and, and the message would have been passed that the fact that people run to social media the fact that people run to social media for justice is an indictment on our system because if i you know if i get beaten up in the uk right or i get beaten mm. up in the us or i get beaten up somewhere i i go i call the, i call the police it's your first port of call but you know but then so we, and then we start to say to people you know why are you coming online to do this why are you coming online? where should they go you know where should they go i've been to a hospital in abuja um one night we were actually dealing with an sgbb case and a woman was beaten 
she was brought into the hospital as soon as she was brought in she was taken into the theater for them to stitch her eyes and she was pregnant that's how bad her husband beat her the security men and some of the the male staff in the hospital beat the man up and when i asked the security man i said why are you people beating this man why would i not go report him go police or something they said it won't go anywhere and so many men bring their wives to the hospital mm. after beating them up so for them beating the men is the only form of justice these women will get how can we be in this type of society you know you ask the question where will they go so in a country of 200 million plus people, if you've experienced domestic violence or sexual assault, there are only 22 sexual assault referral centers across Nigeria. Let me say that again. Only 22 sexual assault referral centers across this country to serve the needs of a population of more than 200 billion. So the very valid question of where do they go, it hangs over us. And of those 22, I think about four or five of them, if not even six or seven, are actually in Lagos. They're predominantly based in Lagos. So that question of where do they go is so valid so so valid and you know you talked about the um the security at the hospital beating <laughs> beating a husband that had brought in his wife that he had beat and that's something we actually see i remember a story that was in the news recently and i think it was where the um, maybe the local vigilante group that beats the husband they flogged him because they themselves also said that if they hand them over to the police it's not going to go anywhere so there's not going to be any consequences or justice given out. And a society without consequences and justice is a jungle. Choma, let's move forward because I know this, this issue is one that is near and dear to your heart. It's one that you've been involved in for a number of years. Now, there are those who also say that there is progress. But before I get to what they think is progress, let's talk about legal framework and the poor execution of that framework, if it even exists in some states. Nigeria is a signatory to the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action. Now, this declaration is said to be the most advanced agenda for promoting women's rights. But if you look at Nigeria, you would not know that we signed on the dotted line. So let's talk about legislation. In 2003, Nigeria adopted the Child Rights Act to domesticate the Convention on the Rights of the Child. The Children's Rights Act or the Child's Rights Act of 2003 expands the human rights bestowed to citizens in Nigeria's 1999 constitution to children. As of September 2020, only 25 out of 36 states have domesticated it. We have the Violence Against Persons Prohibitions Act that five years after it was signed, there are still about 23 states that have not domesticated it. And I've talked about the fact that in a country of over 200 million people, there are only 22 sexual assault referral centers. Lagos does the best it can with the domestic and sexual violence response team, DSVRT. I know Kaduna is working on setting up something like that, but it is simply not enough. What do you think this says about Nigeria's seriousness in addressing SGBV and GBV when it comes to protecting the rights of women, girls, and children? I mean, I don't even think that Nigerian seriousness can be put in the same sentence, right? I mean, um, <laughs> if you look at a ton of these sexual assault referral centers, they're funded by by Private international organizations. And, yes, funded by international organizations. You're not you're not serious, right? You're not serious at all. Um, there is no intention, you know, uh, to take this seriously. You're not budgeting for these issues. Right, you are not. They're not included in your budget. You know, they say, uh, "Put your money where your mouth is," or you know, "Tell me where you're putting your money, and I'll tell you what you really care about." Right, effort is a function of interest. And if you look at the fact that, you know, you can have legislators go into the National Assembly and say things like, um, you know, the way they want to empower women is that they should marry them. And you have legislators who say things like, if you give women a gender and equal opportunity bill, they'll all become lesbians and start having yes. abortions all over the place. When you think about that. those types of things, right, then you know that there's no intention, you know, uh, there's no intention to actually put in place the structures that ensure that women are safe inside and outside their homes. Because Barakat was raped in her father's house. You know, Uwa was raped in a church. This three-year-old girl was raped in a house opposite her mom's. 
in one of these faced me, I faced you type, you know, slums slash settlements. Mm -hmm. So the question of, you know, where did they go? What did they wear? Blah, blah, blah. The child under 12 months that was raped last year. Are we asking where she went? Are, are we, we asking, asking what, what she, she was wore? wearing? You know, um, yeah, so um, there isn't, I do not believe that there is an urgency in our response. There's so many, so many exciting, you know, um, international efforts that are focusing on Nigeria, etc. But, you know, you can't the horse, you flash on its face, you can inject it with water. But if that horse doesn't want, that's literally where we are. Wow. So it's not enough to, you know, take all the fancy pictures, make all the fancy statements, you know, fly half a state to New York to attend all of these conventions <laughs> and all of that and all of that. When you people come back, what are you doing? If the wife of a governor can stand back and watch a survivor, a victim, be reconciled with her, you know, with her abuser, what are, what are we doing? Why don't we all just pack up and go and stop wasting each other's time? Okay. So let's talk about maybe progress, but I feel like um, I have an idea of some of the answers I'm going to give, uh, get from you, but let's, let's, let's still go there. Recently, a group of comedians and entertainers came out against rape. Um, Nigerian movies, music, and by extension, the entire entertainment industry receives flack for the portrayal of women and social issues. We're seeing a bit more difference in the type of storytelling that is coming out of Nollywood. But when it comes to other things, we're still, you'll go to a concert, you'll go to an event, you'll go somewhere and someone's comedy time or skit or whatever is simply about somehow making fun of women. And I remember very well hearing from two very leading comedians, Baskinmouth and Ahuru, making very insulting jokes when it came to the issue of, you know, I take you out on a date, um, I spend money on you, then you tell me you want to go home, or you tell me don't touch, don't touch you, and the next thing, come here, you know? And I know that Baskinmouth paid for it recently, I think it was early this year or late last year, when he was supposed to be like an ambassador for the United Nations or something. And he's one of those who has actually had to pay for those type of jokes. But when you look at this PSA, do you think that we're starting to see a bit of a social change, particularly with the entertainment industry, um, on, on how these issues are put forth to the public? I think so. And it's really heartening to see, right? It's very heartwarming. Um, I think one of the things that social media has done is that um, we're seeing more and more a new breed of content creators. We're seeing a new breed of just people who are, you know, building media empires by themselves. And it's important to catch them young, right? And get out this message that rape jokes are not okay. There's nothing to laugh about when you're talking about, you know, sexual and gender-based violence. So that's really, really heartwarming to see, you know, really, really heartwarming to see. I think what we, what we now need to focus on is cascading these messages you know, beyond social media. Yes. There's a lot of work being done by a good number of organizations funded by, you know, internationals, etc. There's a lot of work being done in, in rural areas. What just needs to happen is that this work needs to be deepened. You can't change behavior in one night. Hmm? People who grew up, you know, casting lots to rape women, you can't take it away in one night. You can jail people, but how many are you going to jail? So in addition to you know, the punitive measures, the swift punitive measures that form, you know, the, the deterrent, you also then need to educate. And these two must happen at the same time. The other thing that must happen at the same time is providing safety for people who have fled these situations and ensuring that they're able to get back on their feet, fend for themselves, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's like a holistic approach that must come into play for, you know, for us to really like chop at this behemoth mm. called STBB. And I'm just, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I must have sounded like all hope is lost, but I am hopeful <laughs> because where we are today, that people can even speak up, that people can even cry out. We weren't yeah. here before. Yeah. There was so much shame, right? I, I, I sat in a group of women one day and we were talking and, out of, we were seven, 
right? Six people had been raped, not sexually assaulted. Six people had been raped, some of them more than once. So some of them more than once by the same person, some of them more than once by different people, you know? So, but they didn't speak up. This was a 2019 conversation. So yeah. I think if not anything, we have been forced to, on some level, confront the enormity of the challenge in this country, you know? And I just hope that, you know, beyond um, just listening to the stories and going, oh my God, oh no, mm. and stuff like that, you know, these stories first, to the much needed, the critical action that's necessary to ensure, you know, that women and girls are safe, that our boys and men are safe too. Yeah, yeah. All right, so progress. You did say that you feel in some way on the ground with those who are working in this area that there's been a bit of progress, but let's look at it as a nation, as, um, as movement and action from the government. So in June 2020, the Nigeria Governor's Forum declared a state of emergency on GBV. There's also been the inauguration of the Interministerial Gender-Based Violence Management Committee. The Senate approved the sexual harassment bill in furtherance of the legislative agenda, they say, to protect women's rights. And at regional level, you had a statement by the ECWAS Commission calling for urgent action to address GBV and protect the rights of children. Also in June of 2020, all of this did not happen in June, but the Nigeria Governor's Forum one was in June. But again in June, the National Human Rights Commission, the Nigeria police, Chioma, the Nigeria police that we all know, and the National Agency for the Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons, NAPTIP, signed an agreement to formally join forces to combat GBV. Do you think we're starting to see true genuine progress from the national level, particularly the people who have the power to get us to where we're going faster than anyone else. All the work the NGOs and the uh, donors are doing, it's all well and good, but the work of consequences, of putting people in jail, of frameworks, of putting money into police training so that people know how to handle these cases when they come to them, all of that rests on the government and those who make the laws in the National Assembly. So what do you think when you hear that this is progress? Is this progress to you? I think joining forces and collaboration is critical, right? So on the surface of it, of course, yes, it's progress. You just now have to think about the workability of some of these things that have been signed, right? And I think the implementation then tells us whether it's progress or not. I know that um, when we went out sometime in June, at the end of June, we called the police. There was a case we'd been told about and we're headed to the family's you know, uh, residence. And we called the police and they said it was late, that they can't come out at that time, it's late. Huh? And so we called NAPTIP. Yes, I wrote an article about it. The police said it was late. It's, uh, the article is published on Premium Times. Um, and this is not something I was told. This is something that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so we called NAPTIP and NAPTIP showed up. Um, so I, you know, I'm not sure if maybe there's a time when perpetrators say, okay, we have closed. You know, it's night. Let's close. We won't abuse anybody against her tomorrow. But if we don't have that, then we must have you know, services in this country that respond you know, to, to violence every time it occurs. I applaud the collaborative efforts that have been announced, etc. I just want to see them yield fruit. Mm-hmm. Me, like everyone else, just want to see them yield fruit. I think we're tired of, you know, the platitudes and the statements. And, you know, like I said, I said that earlier, we're just tired of all the talk. Show us some action. You know, there's a case in Kogi, or there's a case out of Kogi with a um, a member of the state executive council, you know, uh, in court, mm-hmm. in court over the alleged abuse and rape of the woman, you know, what's the progress of that? Anybody who wants to tell us that they're serious with sexual and gender-based violence, until people start to see that justice is not just for rich people and mm-hmm. that rich people can evade justice, we won't really move the needle. Because what then happens, and I've seen this before, is that a gate man will rape a child. And it is only when you take him to the police that you find out that his cousin or his brother is a local government chairman. Yeah. Or uncle's father's brother's cousin's husband's son's brother is a senator. 
and then the pressure starts, right? And so what yeah. everyone's trying to do now is to find their roots out of pain for, for, for rubbish that they've done. Out of facing their consequence, yeah. Exactly, it shouldn't be so. So yeah, these are the, these are the issues. Okay, so um, what then do we need to do? So we've said what we're doing that is not enough. We've said what we're doing that is not adequate. We've said what we're doing that um, unfortunately will have been inherited by generations because of the cultural and traditional norms set up in Nigeria and across the African continent. So then for Nigeria specifically, Shoma, what do we need to do? Let's get to that. I think that the government needs to to tell itself the truth. I think that it needs to listen. Um, I think that it needs to realize that things are bad, right? It's not enough to read them in fancy reports or whatever. Um, it should realize that things are bad. Um, and I think that we need to have more conversations that produce solutions but only after we've implemented the solutions we've been told about already because a lot of times they say oh we need to meet we need to have a conference we need to do yes. this we need to do that we need to do that yeah we've done enough mm -hmm. we've had enough meetings we've had enough this we've had enough that you know we're, we're done how about we implement the ones that came up before and i guess that's why while it's it's heartwarming to see you know, the, um, the, the panels for NSARS going on, but there've been so many panels before that. There are still reports and recommendations from previous panels also yep. yes. on police brutality that haven't been implemented. You know, so it's like, how many, you know, how many do we want to do? How many of these conversations do we need to have? Um, yeah, these, these are just my thoughts. I think let's implement what we have already. We have 22 sexual assault referral centers. That's a clear gap. How do we ensure that we have many more? You know, there's so much, there's so much that needs to be done. So much, so much, so much that needs to be done. Um, and it's just that speed and the urgency to implement, you know, that we're not yet seeing. We don't have time. We don't have time. You know, this is an urgent work. We don't have time. Do you think um, there's the political we, will? The political will from all the, levels of moment, government? I don't see a lot of political will. I don't, unfortunately. Mm. You know, I don't see a lot of political will. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of, you know, like I keep saying, there's fancy speeches and there's all of those types of things. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay, so we started with numbers and I want us to end with numbers. And I know me and mm -hmm. you have had some of these conversations off public sphere. And I know also the toll it has taken. So Chuma, I have to say thank you. I, we've mm -hmm. talked about thank it before, you. you know, I have to say thank you. But I also want us to end with numbers because it's necessary mm -hmm. that Nigeria faces the reality. And while these numbers may not be specific to Nigeria, we can extrapolate and understand that Nigerian women make up some of these numbers. So 137 women are killed by a member of their family every day. It is estimated that of the 87,000 women who were intentionally killed in 2017 globally, more than half, that's over 50,000, were killed by intimate partners or family members. More than a third, 30,000 of these women intentionally killed in 2017 were killed by their current or former intimate partner. Less than 40% of the women who experience violence seek help of any sort. Less than 40%. So if help is not even available, it's one thing. For it to be available, it's another thing. And for it to be the right type of help, it's still another level. In 2019, one in five women between the ages of 20 to 24 years were married before the age of 18. At least 200 million women and girls between the ages of 15 and 49 have undergone female genital mutilation in 31 countries where the practice is concentrated. This includes Nigeria. 15 million adolescent girls worldwide between the ages of 15 and 19 have experienced forced sex. 
there is a woman that each and every single one of us know that has been a victim of gender-based violence, whether we know it or not, whether she has spoken about it or not. It is per uh, pervasive, it is destructive, and it is something that society has allowed to slide for way too long. My last question to you, Choma. When do you think Nigerian girls and women, their lives, their quality of their lives, their future, their happiness, their progress, their ability to, to add to themselves and to their families and to society, when do you think any of that will matter to the people who need to do the right thing? Hmm. I don't know. This is an impossible question. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, in all honesty, I don't have an answer to that. Um, I just, we just continue to hope. We just continue to push. Um, and I think that the more voices that are raised on this matter every day, the more conversations people continue to have, the more people continue to, you know, demand accountability of the people they've elected into various offices the sooner we will see, you know, we will see great progress, the sooner we will see, you know, great action. Um, and the sooner we will see just a state of, of normalcy, or maybe even semi-normalcy, where sexual and gender-based violence becomes the exception, not the rule as it is today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shoma Agwebu. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me on the 774 NGR podcast. There are a lot of other issues we're going to talk about, women in tech, women in politics as well. Um, but I really felt the need to have this conversation. And it's one that it's not a one-off conversation. We'll have it again. We'll keep having it. Because as you said, we need to keep putting our voices out there, making sure those who can do the right thing, who can make the change as fast and as swift as possible, know that we're watching. But more importantly, we are demanding that necessary change. So Chilma, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So this has been the 774NGR podcast. Um, you can follow us particularly on Twitter at 774NGR underscore. If you have a suggestion of a topic or a guest even, please let us know um, who you think we should be talking to and what you think we should be talking about. Until next time, I'm Chalilope Adelaru. Bye.